So glad that you're here this morning. And um, if you were tracking along with that song that we just sang, uh, this is the topic that we're going to be touching upon this morning. And I emphasize touching upon. I feel like the proverbial gnat hovering over the universe, trying to understand the universe. And um, really, when it comes to studying about God, which that's what we're doing here, we're doing this series on the attributes of God, the excellencies, the beauty, the perfection of God. It's important that we uh, not shy away from it, but enter in and study it, examine it, be in awe of it, be in wonder over this God, the one true God. And so um, here this morning is, um, here's what we're going to do. Try and do a little survey, if you will, on the fact that God is God, specifically that he is in control. And so the title of uh, the message is El Elyon, God Most High, and no one else. (laughs) And um, I might not be able to cover uh, maybe some of the things that pop up in your thinking and your uh, questions and such. Uh, We'd be open to... uh, visiting with each other uh, later on afterwards, you know, and talking about it. I certainly don't have all the answers in this. Um, But let me say this before we start walking into this topic, and that is for the next, uh, the next two weeks are very important. I want to encourage you about being here about this subject. We're we're not going to just take, uh, today is about that God is sovereign, and then uh, the next two Sundays, Pastor Brennan's going to be preaching on God's sovereignty in salvation. And it's very important um, that we be here and, and you know, study this issue and, and hear the word of God as it's preached. But today gives us a general overview of God's sovereignty. And um, in just taking the word sovereign or the word sovereignty, Defined in the dictionary, one who exercises supreme authority, unlimited in extent, absolute freedom, which is a, this is an interesting concept here, freedom from external control. Sovereignty is exercised over a body of people, over a state, over a nation. It's the controlling influence over people, over land, such. And it's always referred to uh, in regards to the king. King is sovereign. The most exalted one. The supreme one. So, um, that hopefully helps a little bit. I'm going to uh, also add from A.W. Tozer in his book, the, the Knowledge of the Holy. And again, it might be that you have this book, you've got a a good book in your library if you do. He says this, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation 
And to be sovereign God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. The reasons are these. Were there even one bit of knowledge, however small, unknown to God, his rule would break down at that point. To be Lord over all creation, he must possess all knowledge. And were God lacking one infinitesimal bit of power, that lack would end his reign and undo his kingdom. That one stray atom of power would belong to someone else and God would be a limited ruler and hence not a sovereign. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says God's a God of all power and he is in control. So again, um, great book. Um, also J.I. Packer, I've shown this before, Knowing God. I'd also like to... Uh, direct you to a book by Pastor Alistair Begg, who is from Parkside Church, only in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, Alistair Begg wrote the book, The Hand of God, a great study through the life of Joseph. I'd encourage you to consider this. Get it. Good. Okay. So if you have your uh, insert in the bulletin, the outline there, you can follow along. But we're looking at the fact that God is sovereign. He is a sovereign God, and number one in your outline, over all creation and its creatures. Letter A, he is the owner. Now, you can look at Genesis 1. He was there in the beginning. There's Listen, there's no one else there. There's no rotation of gods. There's no promotion of gods. He was there. Okay, No explanation given. He was there. In the beginning, God. In his creation, he is simply and profoundly there. He exists. Okay? He is there, and he always and forever will be there. He's the creator. He's the one who made the known creation. And even if we want to throw in the unknown things to us, he's the creator. He's the one who made it all. He's the one who made us. The first parents, Adam and Eve, through them, all of humanity came forth. Not only is he the creator, in Psalm 50, he says that he is the one in charge. Okay? Um, before we move to Psalm 50, uh, later on in, in Genesis chapter 1, he gives man the dominion to rule over all of creation, right? So man is... Uh, steward, if you will, manager of the creation. But God's the creator. He's the owner. And in Psalm 50, I'd like you to look there. Turn to Psalm 50. Now, this is, again, what we'll do this morning is look at various verses about the fact that God is sovereign. In Psalm 50, it tells us, and you might even see it as a Subtitle of Psalm 50, God's the judge of the righteous and the wicked. He's the one true judge. And we are called to answer to him. He summons us. And look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am your, I am God, your God. He summons his people. And we've got to face up to the fact that he's the judge. He's overall. He is God. 
And then it even goes on to say, here's where we get that little chorus. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. What's the rest, dear? She's not going to sing it. <laughs> but he owns the cattle. Look, look at verse 10. Okay? Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains. And everything that moves in the field is mine. And then he adds this. And look at verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine. And all it contains. Okay? So, he's the owner. Letter B, I would present to you. He's not just the owner, creator. He's the orchestrator. The orchestrator. Turn, you're in Psalm 50. Go to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Psalm 104 really celebrates the way the created order reveals God's glory. Okay? Psalm 104, verses 10 through 13. Starting in verse 10, he sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. We know about that in northern Nevada, yeah? They give drink. Look at that. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He is God. He is creator. He's in control and he orchestrates it. And it starts here like with creation. And then some of you get to go out and and shoot that deer and take it home. Because that deer was drinking water, feeding on the fields. And obviously other issues that come right down and trickle down to us to provide what? Food and water and drink for us. Why is it that we think, you know, it's because of man that we've got what we've got? We are so stubborn. We are so, you know limited in our thinking if we're thinking that it's because it's all because of man how foolish how foolish look at verse 14 in psalm 104 starting in verse 14 he causes the grass to grow for the cattle vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth And wine, which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil. And the food which sustains man's heart. Okay? So, it's all traced back to God. Now, with that in mind, add this thought. Because God is sovereign. Because God is sovereign. James chapter 1, verse 17. Write it down and look it up. James chapter 1, verse 17. With that in mind, with what we've looked at and that God is in control, every good gift and every perfect gift is what? From above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Okay? 
shows that God doesn't change and God is faithful and God is good because what? Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. See, he didn't categorize it and, and just qualify it and say, well, it's just these things. The scripture is, is leaving it open. Every good gift. Every good gift. Every perfect gift is from above. And so often, what do we do? We limit. We limit what God does. God is sovereign over all creation and its creatures. Now, I didn't get into the weather patterns. Uh, that's, cre- that's creation. And, and yes, it is. It's difficult to comprehend this. But God's in control of the weather. I, I don't get that all the time because of what, you know, you and I, together, we don't get it. But God sends forth his thunderbolts. God sends forth the lightning. God, from his upper chambers, what's that talking about? The, the heavens, pouring forth rain, bringing forth rain to the earth. You know, it's important that we understand what the Bible is saying about who God is. Now, I can't go into that, into that very deeply, but if we're saying, I'm saved, I believe in God, then, then let's open up the door some more and say, here's who God is. He is great. He is mighty. He is the creator. He's the owner. He's the orchestrator. And then number two, point number two, God is sovereign over all nations and their rulers. God is sovereign over all nations and their rulers. Letter A, he's over those who honor God. Look at it that way first. He's over those who honor God. Let's turn to Psalm 33. We read from that this morning in our responsive reading. Psalm 33. Let's go back there. Psalm 33, if we look at verse 4 and 5, it's saying... Um, here's the praise that's deserving of God in the first three verses. But then verse four says, it's the word of the Lord is, it's upright. And all, look at that. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. So here's a general broad proclamation of his work, that it's God. It's done in faithfulness. And it, here's what he loves. He loves righteousness and justice. And then verse 6 and 7 points out his creative strength. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. All that's saying is, here's the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was made flesh in verse 14. In John chapter 1. It's his creative strength and power. God spoke it into existence. Okay. So by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made And by the breath of his mouth, all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Here's his power is highlighted. Verse 8 and 9. It's his exhortation to the people now. Let all the earth fear the Lord. That's the right response. Fear the Lord. Revere him. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Because of his power. He spoke and it came into existence. The response ought to be worship. Fear him. Stand in awe of him. When was the last time you stood in awe of something? 
When was the last time you wondered in awe over something? Typically, it was with the starry hosts, the heavens. Hey, you, you know, the Big Dipper is still where it's supposed to be. The North Star, the, the northern lights, the sun rising, the sun setting. The earth is still on its course. See, that didn't just happen with a big bang, my friend. There's too much order in the universe and how things were made. Now, I know we get into what we start thinking, but but why this and why that? And, you know, here's the results, the outflow of man's sin and the world being cursed by God because of man's sin. We'll get into that as best we can in the time allotted. (laughs) But regarding those who honor God, it results in coming to look at verse 10 and 11. The exhortation was in 8 and 9, 10 and 11. The Lord, look at that. The Lord nullifies, makes of nothing the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. Why is that? Because he's a a grumpy old God. You got on his bad side, so he's going to frustrate the the counsel of the nations. No, it's to show here's, here's who's in control. Here's who's sovereign. Man's efforts always end up being against God. What what happened in Genesis 11? Let us go down and confuse their language. Why? Because because of humanity was building up a one-world system, Tower of Babel. God says, let us go down and confuse their languages. What was that? Just being angry, grumpy old God? No. Here's judgment of sin. Judgment of sin. So, verse 10 and 11, back in Psalm 33, look at verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. And the result, if a people truly fear God, stand in awe of him, look at verse 12. Blessed is the, there it is, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, back in those days, there's only one nation whose God was the Lord, Israel. They're to be a light to the Gentile nations, the, the pagan nations. They're to pass along the, the very hope of the Messiah, the fact that there is one God. And all, many other nations, most other nations, understood there to be a plethora of gods. I mean, why not? We want a God for this and... Uh, we want a God for this. And it's like, you know, here's a, a big meeting of all sorts of leaders and people saying, hey, let's have a God for this, and a God for that. I just will never get over the uh, concept of ninth grade uh, Greek mythology. Oh, my goodness. This is the best that man could come up with? <laughs> Some of these gods, they, they had, oh, my goodness, look at their weaknesses. Gods were talking The Bible already acknowledges man has his weaknesses, obvious. And see, here's another weakness of man. 
He wants to attribute God with the problems. He wants to attribute God with the fault. It's God's fault. Well, Swenson, if you say God's in control, it's God's fault that this happened and this happened. I mean, look what's going on in the Philippines right now. Right now. So without an understanding of the Bible, let's blame God. Right? But we have, listen, we have excellent examples of people who honor God. We're still under letter A here, under number two. People who honor God in their lives, who are spotlighted in Scripture, whether in favorable conditions or unfavorable conditions. Noah. Here's the early, you know, early times. Noah is, is one that, you know, everything's kind of unraveling. But Noah found favor, grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said, Noah, build an ark. And that family, that remnant was saved from the destruction. Why? God's angry, right? God's mad. Yes, he's mad at what? At sin. At, at the rebellion of man. God's demonstrating. Here's, here's judgment. Sin will be judged. And on it goes. And, and you've got not just Noah, but you've got the example of Abraham called out of an ungodly pagan nation. Joseph. And that's why I pointed out this book by Alistair Begg, The Hand of God. Um, Joseph is a, an example uh, of, of this very issue. A man who honored God in a very unfavorable situation. Moses, Joshua, Daniel, Esther, Queen Esther, all of these people. They're highlighted in Scripture, not because they were so cool and they, they were so right on, but because of a great God that they trusted in, even in difficult situations. So that's letter A, those God's sovereign over the nations and the rulers, over those who people who honor God. And then letter B, over those who even hate God. Those who even hate God, God's sovereign over. And, and here we can go into a history lesson. You know, bring out the history books. Show me some of these kings. Show me some of these leaders and they're the rulers. Look at their attitudes. Study them. And they were like all by themselves. My kingdom. Not one. Not one king. Not one pharaoh. Not one Caesar. Not one emperor. Not one commander in chief. Was outside of God's control. Proverbs 21, verse 1. Mark it down if you're taking notes. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he, the Lord, turns it wherever he will. Okay? And that's the beauty of what God did with the, the lives of Joseph, Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Showing that he is in control, even in a pagan nation, in a pagan culture, he's in control. Now, you and I know, 
if, if you were one of those individuals, Queen Esther or, or uh, Daniel, one of the three friends, you know, yes, there's pressure. Yes, there's uh, uh, unfairness. Whatever, you, you know, complaint we come up with in, a, in the midst of a pagan nation, in the midst of a godless ruler. But yet they kept saying, yep, God's in control. He is in control. Even in the midst of a life-threatening situation, what did these guys do? When the horn sounded for the, the three friends, can you imagine? Everyone bows! Thousands bow! Three guys. Going to stand. Why? God's in control. I don't get it, but God's in control. I'm going to trust him. And that's what faith is about. They trusted God. Joseph, back into prison again, trusted God. And similar conditions face Paul and the other disciples and the apostles in the New Testament. I mentioned this the other day to, to uh, some of the guys at, at the breakfast. Um, you know what? There's some nasty Caesars that led Rome. Nero. Nero didn't make the top ten list of popular people in the Roman Empire. Okay? Why didn't Paul write about it saying, let's, let's, uh, let's do something about this Nero guy. He never really did that. He just kept saying, hey, pray for the leaders. Pray for the leaders of your country. You know, First Timothy chapter 2. Pray for kings. Pray for rulers. Pray for them. Why? God's in control. God is sovereign over nations and their rulers. I, again, we don't have time to go into it, but just take some time with this thought in mind. Read, read some of Daniel. Oh my goodness. Read through Daniel and, and recognize how great God is. Number three. Number three, God is sovereign over all situations and any complications. I cannot explain why. I cannot give you the answers why. And along with this, that he is sovereign and in control over all situations and any complications that we face, here's where it gets overwhelming. Here's where it gets painful. Here's where it gets impossible to understand. Because it's personal. It's it's personal now. When we say, well, how could God be, you know, saying he's the creator and and he but he's not in control of things in our nation. Or he's not in control of things in our in our lives or in our church. Part of the reason is we, we want to bring God down to more of an understandable level. You know, hey, yeah, he's our, he's our good God. He's our good father. And we get him. But you know what we're doing? We're taking the mystery out. We, we, we push the delete button to the whole mystery of life. 
We are so inundated with information and technology, all the technology. It's like we got instant information about stuff right now. You can have it right now in church. Just do the little, you know, oh, what's going on in the world today? <laughs> you can have it right now. But we don't do that with God, do we? Hmm. Maybe we do. <laughs> we do. We want to put God right there and say, I, I got this. I understand this. All about God. But we really, when it comes to thinking he's in control of all the situations, any complications, we kind of, we can't comprehend that. But we got to come back to what the Bible says of who God is and study it and let the Bible say it. And let the Bible lead the way in, in defining who God is. Letter A, number three, is he's over the, even the basics of life. Let's just think of it that way. I was going to say the blessings, but you know what? The blessings come. It's, he's over the basics of life, the ebb and flow of things, where you were born, what family you were raised with. You know, and we could have some testimonies come up and say, oh, there's a, oh, just a horrible situation of how this person was born and how they grew up. Does that make God a meanie God? Does that make God a horrible God? No. No. But we want answers. We want to figure it out. But see, God's overall, the family I was born in, where I grew up, the issues of life, how you're taught, how you're not taught. Say, no, that was dad's fault. My dad was an alcoholic. It's his fault. Somehow we want to assign blame then back to God through our excuses, through our limited thinking. So a lot of it is come, coming to this. You know, we all were born and we grow up. You know, yeah, there's some that have diseases for all of life. We don't get that. We don't understand that. But God's in control, even of the basics of life, in just normal growing up and, and living. God's in control. Letter B, and here's the kind of the counterpart. He's in control of the basics of life. And he's also over the bitternesses of life, the bitter ways of life, the bitterness of life. You know what? You might be dealing with something in your life that you're, you're just really struggling with and that you say, this is not normal. We say, you know, any kind of whatever's beyond the normal of life, will you still, will you still say God still rules? Will you still count on him in that way? God's wisdom, in God's wisdom, listen, in God's wisdom, he figured in one particular book in the Bible called the book of Job and the person of Job. 
and, and many of the Psalms, where the Psalms are crying out, out of pain, out of anguish. And the idea is that we would say, yeah, certain aspects of life are stink. Certain aspects of life are beyond our comprehension. But God still rules. And you know, just like we have examples in the Bible of people who persevered in the midst of difficult situations, we listed them, Joseph, Daniel, his three friends, those kind of people. Here in our time, in our current, in this lifetime, there's like a whole bunch of people that God uses that have struggled in despite the bitterness of life. And most of you, how many of you have read the story of Johnny Erickson Tata? Johnny Erickson Tata. Raise your hand nice and tall here. Hi. Sorry, tall. Hi. Hi. Um, if you haven't read the, the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, I encourage you to get that. That's another excellent example of someone who, as a, in the prime of her life, something like 16, 17, 18 years old, beautiful woman, dives into some water, breaks her spine. Now she's a quadriplegic. And to see what God has done in her life, because it's not that she's responded perfectly all the time through it all, all the treatments, all the stuff that she's gone through, but she's trusted God and continued to look to Jesus. And God has used her in an amazing way in the lives of other disabled people. And now lately, how many of you have... uh, Witnessed the video or read anything about Nick Vucevic. Yeah, I can't even say his name. Nick. Nick is the man who um, was born with no limbs. No limbs. And if he were to be up here, he could sit right here and he could preach a message to you about hope, about perseverance, about a great God but he doesn't have any arms or limbs or legs. Quite an evangelist that God has there. See, it's all supposed to, I don't have this on your outline, but it's supposed to, and letter C, if you're taking notes, under number three, add an, a letter C. We said, God's over the situations. He's over the basics of life. He's over the bitterness of life. But you know what? It results, it's supposed to result in the blessings. Here's the blessings of life. See, we want to categorize blessings as all all the stuff that's really cool. Everything's going my way. See, that's not, that's a humanized, man-centered definition of blessings. Because everything's cool, everything's going fine in my life, everything's smooth sailing. Whoa, God's blessing my life. You know when bad things happen, God wants to bless your life? When bad things happen, He wants to bless your life. Because we get focused on the wrong stuff. We get focused in the wrong persons. We get focused in the wrong way. He wants to bless your life with the difficulties and the bitternesses. And to keep demonstrating why he's in control. 
He is in control. Some of you have read that little poem. I didn't bring it with me, but the the weaving, you know, the, the whole business of weaving, God's doing a weaving. And we look at it from our perspective, and what do we see? A mess. Underneath, it, it makes no sense. Maybe we get a glimpse of this or that, but the overall picture of the weaving doesn't make sense to me. His perspective, it's amazing. The beauty of the weaving from his perspective. You're a part, if you're, if you're a Christian, he's weaving your life to look like Jesus. Okay? He wants to conform you to the image of his son. But the more that I dodge his work, the more that I sidestep his work and keep moving, not going to happen. And that's a sign of my being stubborn or rebellious. I don't want God to do his work. I don't like what he's doing. I'm going to keep dodging him. Psalm 46, verse 10, we shared it yesterday. The Bible says, be still or stop ceasing or cease striving. Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. That's what he wants to accomplish. That we'd see him high and lifted up. You, you know, I, I'm not going to be, if you're here this morning thinking, I'm off my rocker for saying some of this stuff, that, that's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to convince you. I'm not here to, you know, say, I've got to, you know, stay here till I convince everyone. No, I, I want to be convincing because that's the idea of the preacher to convince, to show forth the word of the Lord that we would put it into action in our lives, right? So, the idea that God is over all situations and any complications goes to the worst scenario that you might dream up. Or, the worst scenario that will happen to you. Another, I mentioned Johnny Erickson Tata and I mentioned Nick, the evangelist, because I can't say his last name, but... There's another person that I know many of us have heard of, uh, the songwriter Laura Story. Laura Story. I don't. I, I haven't even looked it up exactly, but I know we've had uh, in the past a couple of gals. I know Sheila Clifford was one. She came up and sang her song. The song is called Blessings, and most of you are familiar, I think, with that song. And here's another example of understanding that even with the the burdens and the unbearable issues of life, God can work his blessings. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the greatest disappointments or the achings of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your, but your mercies in disguise?
Why do we think God's not in control? Why do we think when something happens to you, why do you respond like you do, saying, where's God? Partly due to, you know, we, we aren't pulling the promises of God and the precepts of God to our hearts and to our minds. Because we figure everything's going to go my way. We think that. I know. You think that. It's like, you know, I, I deserve it, right? You deserve it. Where did God say that? What does God say we deserve? In the big picture, you know, what we deserve is his wrath. That's what we deserve. But that is so foreign to our culture, so foreign to our language, so foreign. We say, no, no. And yet, if you're God's child, he wants to do an amazing work that I can't explain. Other than it's found in Romans, Romans chapter 8, where he's going to do his work of conforming you to the image of his son. Number four. Point number four. My practical response. So like, okay, now what? In light of the great variety, the vast variety of stuff that people face in life. My friend, you keep journeying on. You keep walking on. You keep going on. You keep pressing on to know God. You keep pressing on, saying, I don't understand. You know, I, can anyone explain why? to the toughest thing that you faced? Can anyone explain it? No. But if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, there's a really good way to respond. And it might not immediately help. It might not immediately help, and probably it won't immediately help. It'll take a while, but start it. And that is be grateful. That's what we're talking about here. Letter A, under number four, I am grateful for who he is. I will thank him for who he is. When you, if, if you're a believer, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you followed what he, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And the verse goes on to say, for whoever would draw near to God, that's part of salvation, draw near to God. For whoever would draw near to God must what? Believe that he is. That's all it says. Believe that he is. That he exists. Then it goes on to say that he rewards those who seek him. See, that's a part of that. That's saying what... Here's what's happened in salvation. You've drawn near to God and you've understood the, here's some of the, the, this unending gift of salvation. And he rewards those who seek him. Now, let me ask you this. How much liberty are you going to take, you? How much liberty will you take 
in defining who God is in your own brain, in your own judgment? How much liberty will you take in defining who God is? See, that's where the rubber meets the road. If you were to say to someone, well, Woody Swenson is like this, blah, 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 and explain who I am and, and be totally off mark. I can't do a whole lot about that. Just that you've got to get to know me or whoever we're talking about, any one of you as an example. And that's the idea with God. If we're going to face something and get hit with something that we don't like or we aren't aware of or we're not expecting, then we've got to learn to define God for what the Bible says and who the Bible says he is. Not out of our imagination, not out of our natural tendency. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 5, or 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Okay? Submit to what the Bible says who God is. The more you get on track with that, I'm not saying everything will come to make sense. Doesn't. But you're looking to God and you're looking to him and as he's defined in his word. You know what? The Bible makes a huge deal about the creator-creature difference. Have you ever thought of that? It makes a huge difference. Here's an example. Look at Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. We've got to cover this. We're not going to go in depth in it, but we got to cover it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. God's, in essence, speaking forth here. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And who has marked off the heavens by the span? Who's calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and who's weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him with whom did he consult who gave him understanding who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket they're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales you ever had your uh, your uh, produce weighed at, at a grocery, mar- you know, one of those privately owned grocery markets, and there's a scale there, you know, and does somebody ask you to to, you know, you're gonna they're gonna weigh your your produce for you? Are, if you were to say, hey, blow off the dust off that potato, what? You know what? That's what he's saying. Nations are like, right? Even the the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Okay? And look over at verse 21. Drop down to verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. 
And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He reduces rulers to nothing. Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. We could go on and on in other passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah that talk about the greatness of God. And this is what we need. We have limited God and we have shaved him down to being more like us. And so no, ma- no, no wonder when we have difficulties, what happens? We've got a little God. We just got a little God. So thus, we need to let Scripture speak forth on who God is, how great God is, and be thankful for who He is. Letter B, I'm grateful for what He has given. Now, this is just real quickly. This is under the heading of common grace, where it's everybody, everybody in the world, whoever was and whoever will be. God's given us life. God's given us breath. He's given us everything. Acts chapter 17. And similarly, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, he makes his son to what? To rise on the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. It's common grace. It's for everyone. But no one will give. It's like those who are not believers, let me put it that way. They don't give God the glory because they think it's all about themselves or all about mankind as a, as a whole group. So I'm, we need to be grateful for what he has given in a general way. You know, this thing of you wake up and you breathe. You don't stop and say, oh, I got to breathe. Some of you have had a disease where you you are struggling. Okay, that's a different thing. But everyone wakes up. You just, heart's beating. Get up, stand up. There's common grace. Okay. But then letter C is we go from common grace where we ought to be thankful. Everyone ought to be thankful for God being a a generous God to letter D, uh, I'm sorry, C, I'm grateful for what he does. And here's now more what's called effectual grace. Effectual grace where it's life-changing grace. It's grace that strengthens you. Grace that sustains you. Grace that has saved you. And it's by the Holy Spirit that he works to conform his children into the image of Jesus. Letter D, I'm grateful for what we, what he, I'm sorry, what he will receive. In the end, all the praise and the glory goes to God. Revelation 19 is the great and mighty multitude of of, a chorus singing hallelujahs to the Lord. Okay. If he is not truly sovereign and in control, then someone else will, what, receive the credit. If he's not totally in control, totally sovereign, totally in control, then somebody else ought to receive the credit. (laughs) But he is and he will forever be totally worthy of our praise. And it's in his death and resurrection, Jesus bought and finish the work. And in his coming, the Holy Spirit uh, brings about the sealing of the believer to give praise and thanks to God, truly being a child of God through faith in Christ. 
you know, there's, I, there's so much more. I, 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 I know there's other areas and other aspects that we've missed, but this is hopefully a, a helpful start. And let me close with this story from J.I. Packer. It's an illustration. In his book, Knowing God, this is what helps us. um, It's not perfect. It's an illustration. All illustrations just kind of point us to something greater. And that's what he's doing here with this illustration. Now, think, is God in control? And here's J.I. Packer from an English background in England. And he's very familiar with the railroad, uh, with the train station there in York. If you stand at the end of a platform on York Station, you can watch a constant succession of engine and train movements, which if you are a railway enthusiast, will greatly fascinate you. But you will only be able to form a very rough and general idea of the overall plan in terms of which all of these, which all these movements are being determined. The operational patterns set out in the working timetable modified if need be on the minute to minute basis according to the actual running of the trains. If however, you are privileged enough to be taken by one of the high up towers into the magnificent where they have the signal box that lies above these platforms, number seven and eight. He says, you will see on the longest wall a diagram of the entire track layout for five miles on either side of the station with little glowworm lights moving or stationary on the different tracks to show the signalman at a glance exactly where every engine and train is. At once, you'll be able to look at the whole situation through the eyes of the men who control it. You will see from the diagram why it was just that this train had to be signaled to a halt. And that one diverted to its normal running line. And that one parked temporarily in the siding. The why and the wherefore of all these movements becomes plain once you can see what? The overall position. When was the last time God gave you the overall position perspective? He doesn't. He doesn't give that. He gives enough in his word to help us to understand that he is, and this is what I've said since 2009, 10, and 11 in my life, God is faithful. God is good. Trust him. We didn't know what was hitting us back in 2009. You don't know what's going to hit you in 2014. Will you be there ready with a a big view of God or a little view of God? What's it going to be? God is sovereign. God is in control.
Lord, we bow before you and admit we, we will never understand all these issues. And Lord, you do. You allow us to get hurt. It's not so much you hurting us. I don't know. I mean, even that, that there's things that we just don't understand, but we want to put our trust in you, Lord. That's what your word says over and over and over again. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, help us to lift you up despite the circumstances, despite the situations. Help us to trust you. And thank you again for doing the greatest work ever in mankind's history, and that being the death and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to look up. Look to the mountains where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, Lord, we praise you. How good you are. Guide us through this day. and Help us to be praising you no matter what we face. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen. Amen.